O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I give them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partially in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and he and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from him, from the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Malachi. It would be in Malachi chapter 2 this morning. I love reading the whole chapter. And one reason I love reading the whole chapter is because we believe that the written word of God reveals the living word of God, Jesus. And so I never want to rush through that part. The problem that Malachi, the prophet, sent on behalf of God, is addressing is that God's people has lost their vision for God. And Malachi writes to shake the people. Chapter 2, verse 5, it describes this special relationship that God has with Israel. And it says this, my covenant with him, Judah, representing the leader of this group of people, was one of life and peace. So God has made promises to the people. The people have made promises to God. God has kept his promises. The people have not. 
And what Malachi is doing is he's writing to shake the people. I don't know about you, but I think there are times in all of our lives where it's really, really good to be shaken. And the most scary place to be is to be going along in life and not even know that we need to be shaken. Just imagine with me this. Imagine that God was going to, or God asked you to sit down in your home at desk or wherever you find some peace and quiet, and you're going to take a pen and a piece of paper, and you're going to write out the next 50 years of your life. And what you're supposed to write out is the next 50 years of your life and what it would look like if you were really, really walking with God. Imagine that as you're writing, someone is sitting next to you, and they keep bumping your elbow as you write. You try to work, write the word blessed, and, and the S becomes a scribble across the page because they bump your elbow. You try to write the word joy, and the J becomes a scribble across the page. The person keeps bumping your elbow. You're trying to write your story, the story that you believe God wants to write through you, but somebody keeps disrupting that. What would you do? You'd say, stop, quit it, get away from me. Of course, you would try to keep them from disrupting the writing of your story. You'd never allow someone to turn your life script into scribbled nonsense. So Israel is allowing sin to bump the elbow as their story is being written by God. Rather than having a story that's filled with blessing and joy that comes with obeying God, it's become a scribbled mess of sin. So Malachi oracles them. He's saying to them, this is not the story that God wants to write through you. This is not the life that you can have with God. So stop letting the temptation mess it up, mess up your life. There's two real areas that Malachi addresses, and the first one is that the priests are not fully instructing the people. The spiritual leaders are not fully instructing the people. The second problem is that the people are not keeping their commitments to one another. And both of these things are sin. You know what sin is? Sin is when you miss the mark. God sets out a mark and says, this is how I want you to live. And this is what what you you ought to do and, and, and should not do so that you can experience the kind of life I have for you. And when we choose to do something else, that's called sin. The actual meaning of the word uh, that's translated in English sin is to miss the mark. So there's two problems, and and Malachi addresses them, and I want to talk to you about them this morning so we can learn from them. So in the Old Testament, the priest is responsible for mediating between people and God in the worship that happens in the temple. So as I mentioned last week, in the Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system where uh, Israel was supposed to bring animals to the place of worship, to the temple, and they were going to sacrifice these animals, and they were supposed to be the best animals from their flocks, right? And, and, uh, and because God deserves our best, right? God deserves our best in worship, and of course, we pointed out last week that worship is not just a time of singing to God. Worship is our lives before God every single day. So God deserves our best. Well, Israel was not bringing their best in this act of worship. In fact, they were bringing the the lame, the sick, the imperfect animals. It's as if uh, they lost sight of the goodness of God. In fact, they questioned whether or not God was even good to them at all. What have you ever done for me, they say in chapter 1. And and God says, what do you mean I've done for you? I've called you. I've invited you into this special relationship. I've given you something that you don't deserve. Well, so this is a problem. and, And really, at the root of the problem is the fact that the priests were allowing it to happen. See, there was a group of people, these people were not worshiping God appropriately, and the priests were allowing it to happen. And to Malachi, the priests are responsible for making sure that the worship of God through sacrifice was done right. 
Verse 7 of chapter 2 says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This uh, person called a priest is quite special in, in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the way God set it up. Well, these priests quit telling the people the whole truth about what God commands, and so Malachi oracles them. Everybody say oracles. I love that word. Um, verse 8 says, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble. This is Malachi talking to the prophets, or the priests, I'm sorry. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, who was the first of the priests, says the Lord of hosts. So what he's saying is there's a problem here. The problem is in the worship of the people, but really the, the, it starts with the priests who are unwilling to speak the full instruction of God to the people. And so maybe the priests were more concerned about being popular with the people, uh, or maybe they got lazy themselves, or maybe the, they... they they just decided maybe it wasn't as big of a deal, or maybe somehow they were benefiting from the fact that the best in the flocks weren't being sacrificed and said maybe they, maybe they were, in, you know, I don't know how. So there was a problem. I mean, they were as a problem, and as the priests, they were responsible because they were limiting their instruction of the people. They were just maybe telling the people what they like to hear, which is something we all like, right? We all like hearing what's in the Bible that's easy to hear. I don't know about you. I love the verses that say God wants to bless me. I mean, can I get an Amen. I love the verses that says that God loves you, which is true. I love the verses that says that, uh, you know, even though you're kind of dumb and ugly, you're going to get a beautiful wife. Amen. You heard, read that one. It's the one I read. I claimed it. And uh, we like those, but sometimes it's hard to hear the tough ones. It's hard to hear the ones about sexuality and what God's designed for sex is. Those are hard. It's hard to, it's hard to hear the ones about, about how we spend our money. And uh, it, it's hard to, how, to hear we're supposed to spend our time. It's, it's hard to hear how we're to treat our spouse or to, to raise our kids. Those are things that can be difficult to hear. And apparently the priests were limiting their instructions to the people, and it was affecting the people's worship. And ultimately, here's the thing, it was affecting the worship of Almighty God. God deserves glory. You may be new here, and you're kind of new-ish here, and you're like, what kind of church is this? Here, this is the kind of church that we believe that God deserves all the glory, not me, not you. God is primarily about his glory, his purpose, his plan. He invites us in. In fact, the greatest joy we will experience in this life is when we're right in the midst of all that God is doing, and we participate, even when there's suffering, even when there's difficulty, even when there's trials, which all happens to all of us. But God is all about his glory, and God cares about his glory. Israel is not worshiping fully, and the priests are not giving them full instruction. So God sends Malachi to oracle them. Now, I'm going to talk more about the second problem. But I do want to point out something, because when I said the word priest, you might think, oh, Russell, you're a priest. You better watch yourself. Let me tell you something. That is true. But in the Old Testament, the office of priest is, is, is nowhere in the New Testament in the same way, okay? Because Jesus is the high priest. You don't need to come to a priest to go to God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here's what you ought to know. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the high priest. He is the mediator between man and God. You don't have to come to me to get to God. I mean, I have a responsibility, a unique responsibility in God's church but you don't have to come to me to go to God. You can go to God because of Jesus. And the thing about Jesus, not only is a high priest, but he's the final sacrifice. This is the gospel. 
God became flesh in the form of a man named Jesus, and he functioned as a priest, meeting between man and God, and then he laid his life down as the final sacrificial lamb. The shed blood of Jesus doesn't just cover sin, which is how the animal sacrifices worked in the Old Testament. It erases sin. So you can stand before God and go to God in worship or in prayer or every day of your life, and you can say, God, I want to come to you. You don't have to come to me, then go to God. And that includes times of our life when we sin. We need to repent. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to go to a person. You go to God because of Christ. Now, uh, although I'm not a a priest like there is in the Old Testament, God does set up the church that that there are teachers in the church that are instructed people, and a responsibility that I and the other pastors of this church have is to fully instruct the people. Not just the things you like to hear, but the things that are difficult to hear. You know, God sets the rules so that we can experience a meaningful life in peace. I read a story this week about Adrian Beltre. Any, any baseball fans out there? I heard your hand if you're a baseball fan. All right, six of you. Um, I don't know if you read this or not. Um, <laughs> uh, Adrian Beltre is on the on-deck circle. He's about to bat, but in, in Major League Baseball, there's an actual on-deck circle, and it's this pad that they have to stand on. Well, apparently, he wasn't standing on it. He's kind of a big deal. He's a good ball player, plays for the Rangers, boo, go Astros. And uh, apparently, he wasn't standing on it, so the ump, who's an authority in the game, says, you need to get on to the on-deck circle. So if you, did you see this? Uh, Beltre took the on-deck circle, and he slid it over to where he was standing, and it really hacked off the ump, and the ump ejected him from the game. You see, he thought he could make the rules for the game. He thought he was kind of a big deal, and, and he is a big deal. He gets paid a lot of money, successful, smart, incredibly athletic. He thought he could make the rules, but there's an authority over him, and he had to submit to that authority or what? He didn't get to play the game. So while he was in the dugout, or I'm sorry, in the locker room, Everybody else was getting to experience the game. And this is the way God works. God says, hey, uh, I want you to experience the game. I want you to experience life. I want you to do all that you are created to do and do it to the best of your ability. But there are rules. And whenever you step outside of or you try to change the rules, then, then there's a problem. There's a big problem. Here is the biggest problem that Malachi addresses in chapter 2 that's relevant to all of us. The people are not keeping their commitments to one another. First of all, they're not keep, generally, they're not keeping their commitments to one another. Uh, verse 10, have we not all one father? Has not God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So whenever God called Israel, they, they were a family, and they were to continue relating like that, even though they grew. Now, we certainly can think of the New Testament and the establishment of the church. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, not me. Jesus is. I ask my kids all the time, who owns the church? And they might say, Daddy, you do. No, I don't. Jesus does. Jesus owns the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is. Who's the boss of the church? Jesus is. And... Um, 
it's very disappointing to them because they kind of think I'm a big deal sometimes, and then they find out I'm really not a big deal. Uh, and but but the, here's the thing about the church: Jesus is the head, and we are the family. We are get to be together. So there's a there's a global church, and then there's a local church. Well, the local church we have a responsibility to one another, and for Israel, their individual choices to disobey God in different ways. One of which we've already talked about, and that is to bring their lame or sick imperfect animals to God and worship. We'll talk about more in the next two chapters. Their individual choices to disobey God was impacting other people. And this goes against our Western individualistic mindset, and that, that is that our choices, good or bad, affect other people. In the local church, our choices, good or bad, affect other people. And so you maybe know that you have an area of your life that's not right with God, and you're trying to set the own, your own rules, and you think, well, it's, hey, it's me. Who cares about what everybody else thinks? It's me. I can do whatever I want to do. Well, you can. That's true. But you should know that your individual choices to disobey God affect other people in this community, even if you only come once a month. If you're a part of this church, you're a part of the family. There are a lot of things that you can find in a lot of churches around this city. You can find smoke machines, laser light shows. You can find all kinds of crazy stuff, and God bless those people. We're not going to do it. But one thing that's unique about this place, I believe, is that I believe that we genuinely love one another like family. They're not keeping their commitments to one another. And um, the commitment, the most grievous act of not keeping their commitment was in their marriages. They lived outside of God's plan for their marriages. Look at verse 11. Judah has been faithless. And it says Judah, think Israel, think this people that Malachi is writing to. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So there's a problem in the way they were relating to one another in marriage. And one of the things that God said in the law was that, Israel, you're only supposed to marry other people that worship Yahweh God. And their worship was diminished. Their view of God had been diminished. And so they began going outside of Israel and and marrying people outside of the tribe of Israel. Here's why this is a problem. This is a problem because that also brought with it the worship of false gods. You and I are going to get married and you worship Baal or some other false god. And so we together are going to, you're going to worship Baal. I'm going to worship God. And then there's a mixture of it and it completely messed up the tribe of Israel. It hurt the family of God. Now, I just want to say something before we talk about the people that are actually married, that time and time again, and some of you are single and, and uh, you desire to be married, which is a good thing, or if you don't desire to be married, that's okay too. Jesus wasn't married, the apostle Paul wasn't married, it's okay. But for those of you that desire to be married, and I've seen in the history of this church, singles come into this church, they desire to be married, they meet somebody that's outside the church that doesn't love Jesus and worship God, they get married to him, and then they leave the church. Now, maybe not all of you are married to somebody that shares your faith in Christ, and I'm certainly not wanting you to feel shame or judgment or condemnation. I'm just saying to you that it matters to God that his people worship him. And anything that could lead to the mixture of worship or diminishing of your worship of God Almighty is not God's plan. People are, are kind of disturbed because they know God's not accepting their worship. Here's the thing about his people. They continue to come to the temple to worship. 
So they looked really religious. This is where it gets really tricky in faith. You can come and you can look religious and you can say things that sound religious, but God knew their hearts. Verse 14, God says, Malachi says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. In other words, God knows your heart. You look religious, but it doesn't matter to God how you look. It matters what's in your heart. And God knows there's some area of your heart that's not right, and one of them that was a problem was in regard to their marriage. So here's what was happening in Israel. The husbands were very easily leaving their wives, kind of dismissing their wives. It was like, uh, I don't want to be married to you anymore, so let me, let me marry somebody over here. You know, you're no longer a big deal. And in God's eyes, man, men and women are equal worth, right? And so it's a big deal to God. And the covenant of marriage made at the marriage altar is a big deal to God. And so for these husbands to so easily just say, you know, I no longer want to be married to you. It's inconvenient. It's a trouble. It's a problem. You're not what I thought you would be. There are some unmet expectations. That's marriage. Hello. Uh, you know, let me let me just dismiss you and I'll move on to this other girl. And maybe they were moving on to younger women or women outside of Israel because the Israelite women weren't pretty enough and they want to go find some other kind of Persian women, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but the, at the core of it, the problem was that these men became unloving to their wives and they chose to divorce them. And ultimately it affected the worship of Almighty God. Look there in verse 14. Because the Lord is witness between you and your wife to your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In other words, you made a promise to her. I did a wedding yesterday, brought 40 people there, and this is simply what I said to them. You're making a promise to one another in the presence of your family and friends. That's important, but more importantly, you're making a promise to God. And the promise to God is this. I will give myself to you physically, emotionally, mentally, until one of us dies. The way marriage goes, sometimes you want the other person to die sooner than later. You know, that's like reality. Not me, of course, um, but other people I've heard. um, This is what a covenant is. This is what a promise is. And for Israel, they were just so easily like, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And some of it's cultural, but it's a problem to God because at the heart of God, this covenant is important. And ultimately what it affects is the children that they have. Verse 15 says that, uh, God was seeking godly offspring. And when the marriage isn't right, the kid, the raising of the parents isn't right. And if, the, if the generation after generation after generation, the problem, the ultimate result is diminished worship of God. So verse 15 says, So guard yourself in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Now, um, I know that some of you are here and you've been divorced. And um, I, uh, I, that's, that, that's life, right? If there's any part of you that's beginning to feel some shame or condemnation, that's not from me, that's from the devil. And so let's talk about what it looks like to build God-honoring, healthy Christ-centered marriages from here forward. And you know, unless you've been living under a rock, that our culture is confused about marriage and how important it is. 
God established it to be a unique relationship, and it's meant to picture to the world Christ's love for the church, but it's gotten distorted. Fewer people are getting married. God is left out of marriage, and on a whim, people just walk away from their marriages. But this problem, which feels new to us, and I've heard people say it's getting worse and worse and worse, it's not new at all. The problem has existed for thousands of years, and the problem The reason it still exists is because at the heart of people is sin. And if that left to run rampant in our lives, all of us will make poor decisions affecting the relationships with everybody and most importantly, the relationship with our spouse. And let me give you a word of encouragement about marriage. You may have heard the the statement that uh, 50% of all marriages in a divorce inside and outside the church. Well, there's some new research that's been done by this gal named Shanti Feldhahn, and uh, she exposes the number as false. And uh, most people who get married stay married. And uh, what's most astounding and significant about this research, and this wasn't like a church researcher, is that a couple who attends church regularly, the chances of them staying married goes up by more than 30%. Malachi says to the people, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And um, what we know is this, that usually prioritizing the church family, the commitment to the church family and being a part of the church family uh, means that you're prioritizing your relationship with God. And when you're prioritizing your relationship with God, that that oftentimes results in your heart being transformed and you learning more fully what it means to serve and love your spouse. If, if, you, if you don't care as much about who God is and what he has for your life and you're unwilling to submit yourself to his rules for the game, then you might not prioritize the church family and ultimately will it, affect, it will affect your relationships and it will affect your marriage. I've seen it for 20 years. So what does it look like to guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth? And I'm wondering if this is what God had in mind when he inspired Malachi to prophesy to the priests. You know, the priests were limiting their instruction. And although I'm not a priest, I am responsible in this church for guarding the instruction and giving them full instruction. And so I'm wondering if in this moment, this is one of those where I I have a responsibility to give you the full instruction of God's word. Let me just say what it means to guard your marriage. To keep from breaking the covenant you've made with your spouse. And some of you are not married. In fact, most of you are not married. There's lots of singles in this church. This community is lots of singles, and we love you. And, and you say, well, this isn't for me. No, this is for you because you're making decisions now that will affect the way you relate to somebody in marriage whenever, when and if you ever get there. There are some choices that you make now that can either strengthen or erode the covenant that you've made. Um. It just feels so important. I, I want to, I could go in all the ways that you can be faithless to your spouse. Certainly it includes things like viewing pornography, which is a major issue in the church and outside the church. It's just so easy. I was talking to some pastor friends of mine, and we all hold each other accountable in all areas of life. 
And what used to be difficult to do to find pornographic images now is so easy. It's literally on your phone. You can pull it up right there where you're sitting. Don't, don't do it. I'd recommend you don't do it. And here's the thing. You can so quickly move in and out of pornography, you cannot realize how it's eroding that covenant that you've made with your spouse. And certainly it would include like adulterous affairs, not just physical affairs, but emotional affairs with your coworkers, neighbors, people that you used to date that you reconnected with on Facebook. It's mind-boggling the statistics that are coming out about the increase in adulterous relationships that are now resulting from the, the, the lifelong connections we have with people that we've known. And so people go back and they find somebody that they dated in high school and they reconnect with them, then they meet them, and then they fall in love with them, and then they cheat with them. You're talking about, Russell, how do you guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth? And certainly this would include not only how men relate to their wives, but how wives relate to their husbands. It includes these things, but, but what I want to emphasize more than anything is the fact that the way that you worship God Almighty is going to have the greatest impact on how you relate to your spouse. You get that? If your worship of God Almighty, creator of the universe, is an afterthought in your week, then your commitment to your wife will be an afterthought, or your husband. And a diminished view of Almighty God will diminish in your heart and mind the covenant that you have with your spouse. So the root problem in any marriage that is struggling is not what the other person is or is not doing. It's what is in our heart related to our relationship with God Almighty. You get that? Um, I have been in more than one counseling situation over the years and where one spouse has chosen to be unfaithful to the other. And as we begin to trace their line of bad choices back, oftentimes it's to the point where they've neglected their worship of God. And um, that's a problem. And um, I imagine that the Israelite men felt justified in divorcing their wives. But long before they chose to divorce their wives, they, they quit bringing their full selves to worship in the temple. Our attention to remain faithful in marriage begins with our attention to the worship of Almighty God. And if we let it slip, all of our relationships, our, most importantly, our relationship with our spouse, but even our, our church family will slip. And God hates this. God hates it. The actual English translation of the Hebrew writing in Malachi 2 is God hates divorce. God hates it. It doesn't say he hates the people that get divorced. He hates divorce because divorce is the breaking of a covenant, a promise that at the root of it is um, one or both of the people has not fully worshiped God. And again, some of you have been divorced. This is not condemning you. This is more instructing you, encouraging you as we think forward. Our attention to remain faithful in marriage begins with our attention to worship God. I wonder if that's the full instruction I'm supposed to give you this morning. If your marriage is struggling, I've been married almost 18 years. It'll be 18 years here in a couple weeks. Holla at you. I was pointing to Jeannie. I wasn't pointing to anybody else. Ken is like, bro, I got my wife now. Um, And uh, there have been seasons where our marriage has struggled. There has. We've had to fight for our marriage along the way. So that's like normal stuff. 
if your marriage is struggling, get help. We've had to get help along the way, and I'm sure we will again. We're entering a new season with our oldest just becoming a teenager, and it feels very new. If your marriage is struggling, get help. If you're tempted to be unfaithful, confess it. Tell somebody. Have you heard it said, it's better to confess temptation than have to confess sin? If you're struggling, you can tell somebody. And I promise you this. You can tell one of the pastors in this church, and it, what you say, we've, we've heard it. I mean, like, we're not, we've not been living in Iraq. We get it. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. If you know you're living outside of God's plan in any area as it relates to your sexual relationship or your marriage relationship or whatever, if you're living outside of God's plan, repent of it. Turn away from it. That's not God's best for you. I just, it's mind-boggling to me sometimes how people continue in this area of sin and, and ultimately what they don't realize is it's affecting your relationship with God Almighty. It's affecting your joy. It's affecting your peace. It's affecting God. In some ways, it's affecting the way that God wants to bless you. And, and the beautiful thing about the church, and this is, a man, if you're looking for a church, if you're new, if you're looking for a church where it's like perfect and everything's really polished, this isn't it because it's not real. It's not real life. If you're looking for a church where you can, you can say, hey, things are messy in my life, then you, you would fit right in here. But we're not the kind of church that's just going to let you stay there. We're the kind of church that says, hey, you know what? God is bigger. God is stronger, and Jesus is awesome. Let's follow Jesus. Let's get freed up from that junk, and let's move forward for his glory and for your good. And and if you're struggling, we want to wrap our arms around you. We want to walk with you. And if you do, you'll experience peace in life. You'll experience strong marriages. And ultimately, what we'll have is a strong church that can do something in this city to really impact lives that can do something to see the kingdom of God established more fully in this community, which is in great need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is at, what is at stake. I opened by asking you to imagine yourself sitting down to write your life story. And uh, I said that sin is like that bump on your elbow that continues to turn your life script into a scribble. When my kids were young, they were just learning to write, uh, I would uh, sit down with them and wrap my hand around their hand and help them write, right? Y'all know that? When I think of the gospel, what I think of is this image of me sitting down to write my life story, sin trying to bump my elbow, Jesus stepping into the picture, stepping in between me and the power of that thing that wants to bump my elbow, wrapping his hand around mine and writing his story through me. Some of you very simply need to, on this day, just say, you know what, I need Jesus to wrap his hand around mine and begin to write my story. You may think to yourself, well, I'm too far from God or I'm too smart for God. Maybe that's you. But I want you to know that God Almighty loves you so much. He wants to be present in your life and work in your life. He wants for Jesus to wrap his hand around yours and help you write the story that he knows that you need to live. Others of you know that Jesus is nearby and Jesus is not going to force himself on you. You've been trying to write your life script and you've kind of put him out of your life and what he wants to do simply is hear you say, come back, help me. I want to write the story with my life that you want to write. We all need the guiding hand of Jesus, the hand of gentleness and care and concern and love. If we do, then we'll experience this kind of relationship that God is offering to Israel. 
relationship that's filled with life and peace. It's good news. Let's bow our heads and think about these things. I feel strongly this morning that some of you just need a moment to repent of your sin. You know that there's an area of your life that things have gotten off. I don't know what to say. Just be honest with God. Just be honest with God. Tell Him what's on your heart. Some of you are here and you you know you're off course and you need to get seek help. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you just need to sit down and talk with somebody and somebody pray with you. Just commit in your mind and heart right now you're going to do that this week. In response, here's what we're going to do. Each week we take the Lord's Supper. We're going to respond, um, offering a few ways to respond this morning during these next few moments. We take the Lord's Supper because the bread that's in these bowls represents the body of Christ broken for you on the cross. The juice in these bowls represents the blood of Christ shed for you on the cross. The beautiful message of the Bible is that though you are dead in your sin, God became flesh in the form of a man named Jesus. He died on the cross, and through faith, you can have your sin forgiven. It can be erased. That's the gospel. You can be given new life. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you can be raised into a new life as a child of God. And so in just a moment, I am going to pray and invite you forward to to take the Lord's Supper and to respond in faith. And this is for those of you that that uh, want to do today to declare your faith in Christ. So maybe that's how you'll respond. Uh, and you, you can do that. And or maybe you just want to sit there and you want to reflect on something that's been said. Maybe you've been convicted or uh, maybe, maybe you want to pray. I'll be down here on the side. And if you want to come by and just say, hey, just pray for me. Uh, I can pray for you. You can tell me what's going on. Or I could just lay my hands on you and pray for you, whatever you need. Let's don't leave this place missing this opportunity. So I'm going to pray, and after I get done praying, we are going to take the Lord's Supper together, and then then, uh, after that, we'll have our offertory and then close. God Almighty, we love you, and we want to respond to you. God, you've moved in our hearts this morning. You've moved in our worship, and I pray, God, that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly. God, there are some that are here that want to publicly declare faith in Christ through the taking of the Lord's Supper. And not only does it remind us of the cross, but it also encourages that there will be a day when Jesus will return. So, God, we want to respond in this way this morning. God, for those that are here that um, have some junk in their life, I pray, God, you just love them right out of it. God, they'd repent of it, turn away from it, and turn towards you.